Make your way up to the front. The front row has the most anointing. It's biblical, so. Seriously, though, if you sit up front, God will speak to you more. I'm just saying. I got this shirt as a gift. Is it too much? I really, really like it. I'm, like, really liking it. I may have cried when I got it. I'm loving your country. I'm loving who you are. I love the Canadians. You guys are incredibly generous and kind and authentic. And um, I just really, I really sense your heart here. Like, you can just feel it. It's, it's, it's raw. It's real. It's God, do something in us. We don't want to make something happen. We just want it to be you. And um, I sense it in my heart. And so I'm just so honored to be here. I'm honored to be a part of Resurgence. Um, we went with the team today. We went to breakfast with the team, with Travis and the team. And then they took us to the mall of Edmonton where Ben rode the roller coaster. I prayed, Jesus, let him live. I don't want to remarry. And um, it all's good. So they came off him and uh, what's this? who did you ride it with? Ryan. Where's Ryan? Ryan, Ryan wrote it with Ben, so um, it was awesome, and then we uh, got to see all of that, so it was, it was great. It's great to be here. It's my last night. It's Saturday night. We're going to have a good time, yeah? And I want you just to take a deep breath. Like, we're going to have a great time tonight. We've had a phenomenal night last night. We had a, an incredible time um, this afternoon. How, how many were here lot this afternoon? All right, good. How many of you used your yard today a little bit to figure out some things? All right. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about that. We actually sold out of my series that I taught on this, this afternoon. And so I don't have any more of that, but it's called the I Do Hard Things series. And I talked about godly boundaries. And if you need to work on godly boundaries, that is the series you're going to want. Um, you, you obviously can order online, but I recommend Am- Amazon. You guys have better shipping from Amazon to here, as well as I have a kin- It's all on Kindle and all that good stuff. So it can get to you. Um, Last night I taught on a series called Keep Calm, Finish Strong, and I taught about Keep Calm and Defeat the Enemy, and that was on the Keep Calm series. I think we have a few more of those as well. Um, I have my husband here. He is right here in the front row, as well as we have four kids, and I think I've brought a picture of them on the screen of the four boys. Can you see them? There they are. So uh, Judah's our oldest. Uh, He is a classic firstborn child. Uh, really doesn't understand why we had more children, believes he should be the only child in the family. Uh, Sincere, authentic. Um, The other day we're walking in the mall and he goes, mom, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, sweetheart. He goes, can I fall in love with you? And I said, all right, okay. Um, And then Hudson is over here um, with the red, with the lantern, and he is all boy. The kid does not stop moving. Um, he's the type of kid that jumps and then gets hurt and then was like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. I didn't look, you know? So he's one of those, uh, loves, uh, Legos, loves his blankie, um, and, uh, is just really, really fun. Uh, Grayson is the blonde. He is my identical twin. Uh, he has a raspy voice and he's ornery and has a sense of humor already and, um, is definitely, believes he's the baby, which was, he was really, really bummed that we had Beckham, our baby, who was born last July, two years ago, and Beckham is, believes he's five years old and doesn't understand why we treat him like a baby. And so, uh, we're, it's all that kind of birth order stuff, but we will get home to them tomorrow. Uh, we just got back from a week-long family vacation in Mexico with our four boys where we swam and 
just had a blast with them. And then we did this week. We've been in two different places in ministry. Um, I just came up with a new book called Radical Growth, uh, a guidebook to growing a vibrant life. A guidebook to growing a vibrant life. I did it in a small form so that you can pop it in your purse or pop it in your bag. And it's not long, but it gives you three elements. It gives you a morning meditation, a daytime dare, and then also an evening reflection. And so this is kind of the basics to how do you grow in your life? How do you grow in God? And all of that. So that's out of the table. Um, and this is, um, this is my newest thing. So I'm kind of excited about that. We also um, started a ministry called Moral Revolution. Actually, tr- open your Bibles. While you're opening your Bibles, I'll talk about this. Open your Bibles to... Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to know where Hebrews is, pop it in the middle and then go towards the right side and keep going. And once you get past the Gospels, you're going to get to Romans and then you're going to keep going to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We are are part of a ministry. My husband and I direct a ministry called Moral Revolution. It's about um, not just being sexually pure, but it really is about having healthy choices in our lives. You know, we talked about a little bit, uh, I believe last night, You can't do something with your body that doesn't touch your soul and spirit. It's impossible to get your soul and spirit needs met in the bedroom. And it's impossible to figure out all yourself. You know, people go, what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about, you know, abortion? What do you think about? And honestly, I feel like that's the last thing on the table that Christians should be talking about. I really believe that we need to talk about wholeness, spirit, soul, and body first getting our soul needs met, understanding how to get our, 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 all those needs healed. And usually intimacy issues, uh, communication issues, understanding how we were created really helps us identify more of those issues. And so instead of just harping on a social issue, I really believe many times it's allowing us to know how we were created and identifying those areas and getting whole that allows us to make healthy choices. Because usually when we make unhealthy choices, it's really based out of trying to get a need a legitimate need met in an unhealthy way. That's most of our issues, is that we're trying to get a a real need. Do you have a real need for intimacy? Yes. Do you have a real need for pleasure? Yes. Do you have a real need for connection? Yes. Are those a sin? No. Should you ignore them and pray that God takes your sex drive away? No. Why? Because he created it. Why would God remove something from you when he gave it to you? Why did God give us a sex drive? He gave us a sex drive for many reasons. One is to procreate. I call it the three B's for babies. I don't know if you know that, but when you actually play with fire, you can get burned, as I've learned four times. (laughs) Babies. Also bonding. There's a, and I'm not going to talk all about that because you guys had a phenomenal leader come in and teach on that a little bit, but bonding. You bond uh, in a unique way. And then also beauty. The Bible talks about uh, there's four, there's four things that he cannot understand. And one of them is between a man and a woman. So it's the beauty of God that's in with marriage. But this is really what our ministry is birthed out of. Chris Valentin wrote this book and began a ministry, and we are seeing thousands of people's lives healed and set free. I just filmed an entire sexuality series, a six-week course on sexuality, everything from how your body works to how your heart works to the five power beliefs of what a powerful person lives Um, All the way from restoration, spirit, soul, and body. We believe that God can restore your body as well as not just your heart. 
Um, and then also covenant, what it means to live in covenant. So that's all out there. There's devotionals. There's guy and girl devotionals, 40-day journey to purity. We've done 40 YouTube videos, which actually 80 YouTube videos that are for guys and girls that you can come on every day and we'll help you walk through it. And nothing's off the table. We will make you blush. We say words like masturbation and orgasm. So now that I have your attention, uh, we do talk about things like that. So please look at those. That is a gift for you. Did I get your attention? My parents still ask me, do you really say that on the stage? I say, yes, I do, Mom. Oh, who would like these? I've got a radical growth and a moral revolution. Then I'll pass those out to whoever would like those. Okay, I promise to only teach for about 40, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and then we're going to go into prophetic ministry, and I'm going to prophesy over a couple of you, maybe a lot of you, and we'll pray for healing, and we're going to have some fun. Does that sound good? All right. So tonight my message is entitled, Learning to Keep Your Eyes on Jesus. Learning to Keep Your Eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Give us grace tonight. We thank you for what's already in the room. I thank you that Travis is leading and his team is leading a movement here in Canada. God, we believe for Canada. Lord, your grace is here in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Last night I kept waiting. I I didn't know I went so long because I kept waiting for it to get dark. Thank you, Canada, for letting me know that it doesn't get dark. I kept thinking, is it like seven? Like, what's going on? It's like God is multiplying time. This is unbelievable. Like, you just keep preaching, and it's like, no, it's still seven. No, it's still seven. I get done. It's like 11. I'm like, what the? It's light out. They're like, oh, sorry, it's the longest day of the year. I'm like, okay, I don't don't even know. Tell a preacher those things, please, or you will, they'll preach your face off. Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite verses foundationally, 17 years ago, this verse spoke to my heart, touched me, and I hope this is one of your favorites as well. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, do you know in the Greek, that cloud of witnesses is not like people sitting on clouds in heaven watching us. How many of you thought that that was true? That heaven is watching us, and they're on clouds, and the great clouds in the sky of witnesses. Actually, in Hebrew times... There were stadiums, and in the stadiums, there were seats that were the very high, highest, and they were called cloud seats. And so what, what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the cloud seats. He's painting a picture for the, for the believer, and he's saying, there's a stadium, there's a group of people that are watching us, and then he says this, since we are surrounded, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. How many of you know that sin can easily entangle us? That means we're not void of sin, meaning we, we have the power to be away from sin, but sin can absolutely entangle us, and we've got to be aware of that. And it says, let us run with what? Let us run with? Yeah. The race marked out for us. And then if you're underlining in your Bible, you like to circle your Bible, you like to highlight in your iPad or your phone, do this part right here. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, what? Endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. 
Tonight I'm going to talk about the life of Peter, and I'm not going to just stay in one story, but I'm going to kind of do a, a synopsis of his life and talk about the three parts of his life. And um, I want us to kind of get a new picture of his life and the, the journey that he had. Many years ago, uh, we climbed, uh, we went to Yosemite. How many of you have ever been to Yosemite? It's one of our national parks in America and in California. And um, it's one of those that has this huge rock called Half Dome. And if you ever see anything on national parks, or if you ever watch, you know, some of your, um, you know, nature discovery channels, you might see something about this. But it's kind of one of those wonders of the world. And it's got this huge rock. And so our leader said, let's go climb Half Dome today. If you'd like to, you can join the team. So, of course, I was ready because anytime you spend any time outside, I become a nature woman. Does anybody like that? Within three days, I'm now a nature woman. And I was a Girl Scout, which was, uh, we have it's a troop of girls, and I got my badges for making fires and um, being dumped in the middle of a lake with my clothes and seeing if I could stay there and all those kind of things. And so, because you never know when you're going to be dumped off in the middle of a lake with clothes. Apparently, it's very important that we learn these things. So, um, I go, and so we go, and so what's really interesting is, it's, it's one of those parks that, you know, you guys have a lot of beautiful outdoor stuff, so I'm, I'm sure you're used to this, but it's one of those parks where there's families and crowds, and we're all kind of going along this pathway to get to the bottom of this rock. Well, at the very bottom, pretty soon, people start to wean off, because it's a long walk. When you get to the part where you're going to climb Half Dome, there's one side that's a she- like a sheer rock, where that's where your professional climbers climb. I had a brother that climbed it, spent three days on the rock and climbed over it. And people are crazy and do that kind of stuff. But um, the rest of us do it the amateur way. And then the back of the mountain, it's very steep. And what they've done is they've put cables along this rock, kind of like a makeshift ladder. And they have screwed in pieces of board on this rock. And it becomes a ladder that you put your feet on and you begin to climb. Now at the bottom of this part is a pile full of communal gloves that you are welcome to put on your hands or use. Anybody who has OCD, you can't think about it. You have to pray in tongues and just put the gloves on. (laughs) So we put our gloves on and we begin to climb this, this ladder. Well, as we're climbing this ladder, I, all of a sudden, the guy in front of me loses his Coke bottle. And it goes off the mountain. And all of a sudden I realized that's my head. I'm about to do that. Like, I'm about to lose myself in this. And so I begin to panic. Have you ever gone, have you ever done something where you wish you hadn't done it? Have you ever gotten a roller coaster and in the middle of you go, this is absolutely satanic. I should have never done this. (laughs) You ever been somewhere where you think, I never want to do this again? Like every time you give birth to a child, you go, how did this happen? He will never touch me again. I am going to be abstinent from this moment on. You did this to me. There's a reason why they call it labor and not fun. I'm going in to go have a baby. I'm going to go have fun. No, no, they call it labor. Hey, go work. So we'll talk about that later. But anyway, I have a picture. No, okay, so so I start to go up, and I start to panic, and I begin to shake. You ever done that where your body begins to just automatically respond? So I look at the guy behind me, Zach, and I say, Zach, I'm not going to make this. I'm panicked. Because every time you're climbing up, the people that are coming down have to share the same ladder. So when they're coming down, you have to let go of one hand, hold on to the next, and just wait while the person goes past you. And so it's getting worse. It's getting steeper. It's getting more scary. So finally, I said, I'm not going to make it. 
And he says, he goes, would you stop looking at the top of the rock? Don't look up. Look at the step in front of you and just keep going forward and don't think about it and you'll get up to the top. And as I did that, as I didn't look up at the top and I looked at the step in front of me, I made it up to the top. You see, many times with our walk with Christ, it's important that we know where to fix our eyes. Because if we fix our eyes on ultimate things, things that we can't, don't have planned out, we're just too far away, we don't know what's going to happen, it at times can make us paralyzed for the season we're in. How am I going to pay for my kids' graduation when they're one, two, three, and five, you know? How am I going to get married and, and pay my bills when I'm just getting through college and I don't have any prospects? When I, how am I going to do that? How am I going to retire when I've got 20 years from now? And how's it all going to work out? And so many times, how am I going to be a powerful minister when I can't even read my Bible every day? (laughs) You know who you are. And so it's very difficult at times when we're walking with Christ. It's very difficult. We have a tendency as humans to want to look way past, figure out how, what we want to do, and then, and then panic. And what, what Paul is saying here is, Stop being entangled by worry and the cares of the world and by the sin that so easily entangles us. But get your eyes on Jesus, because if you get your eyes on Jesus, you're going to make it up very, you're going you're to be okay. But if you don't have your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to be okay. And Peter learned this lesson very clearly, and I think Travis, amazingly enough, touched on this tonight, and he didn't even know I was preaching on this. So maybe there is a God. But the first time we learn about Peter's life, Jesus calls Peter and his other fishermen. He says, come follow me. He's a fisherman by trade. And when the Bible says he's a fisherman, he's not like one of those, hey, it's a hobby. I'll go fish. When, When we learn about this in the Bible, we learn that Peter was a generational fisherman, which means his grandfather fished, his dad fished. He grew up on boats. In fact, they believed that Peter was a part of an entire fleet of of boats. He didn't just have his boat. He was managing boats and boats and boats of of an entire business and industry of fishing. So when Jesus said, come follow me, he was saying, come follow me and leave the industry of being a fisherman and follow me. So I want us to understand the cost a little bit. He wasn't like fishing. Okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. Will you take my pole? No, no, this man was, was a professional fisherman. And so when Jesus comes and calls him, we find also, what's amazing is if you know Peter's life, him getting up and following Jesus doesn't seem that crazy because Peter's a bit compulsive. So we'll learn that a little bit more. The second time we find Peter's life mentioned was when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse. I don't know if he was saying, just so you know, I can make your life miserable. So come follow me. No, I I don't know, but he did heal his mother-in-law. And then the third time we find is the most pivotal moment in Peter's life that we begin to understand this moment with Peter. And you can turn there to Matthew chapter 4. We find Peter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, we find Peter coming to know a little bit more about Jesus and his character. It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat and go ahead of him on the other side where he dismissed the crowd. Remember the crowd that gathered for all the fishes and loaves? 
Remember how Jesus multiplied the fish and loaves? Remember the unsung hero in the story was the mom who actually made the boy the lunch? But whatever. (laughs) Jesus comes, and the reason he dismisses the crowd, and he says, after he dismisses them on the mountainside, he goes by himself to pray, and later that night when he was alone, okay, so I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Jesus tells the disciples, go out in the boat, and I'll meet you on the other side. The reason Jesus dismissed them was because he needed to mourn his best friend. John the Baptist had been beheaded and Jesus needed time to grieve and he didn't want to be with everybody. How many of you know when you grieve, you don't want to be around everybody? So Jesus is like, I don't want to be with you. I just want to go spend some time, get my heart. Okay. And I'll meet you. You get in the boat and go. Who told them to go in the boat? It's okay. It's not a trick question. Jesus. Good. Jesus tells him to go in the boat and says he'll meet them. At 20, verse 23, and after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to himself to pray. And later that night, he was alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They believe that it was nine miles out from land, and they had been out there um, for a long time. The boat was already a considerable distance. Uh, verse 25, shortly after dawn, before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. They believe Jesus walked three miles, excuse me, three miles to the boat. Jesus is walking on the water. I love that thought. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They yelled out, it's a ghost. And they, and, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus yells out, says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. And then Jesus so graciously looks at Peter and says, come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked in the water, and came towards Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to cry and sink in fear. Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. The first distraction in following Jesus, the first thing that will distract us is fear and doubt. The first test, if you will, to us following Jesus is that we will battle with fear and doubt. And many times we battle with fear and doubt Because the storm that we're in was the storm Jesus invited us into. Jesus asked Peter to go out into the boat. Jesus told them that he would meet them. Jesus said, I'll be there. And then when they go to obey Jesus, the storm begins to happen. And they're delirious. These guys are not weaklings. It's not that they don't know what's going on. They know what's going on. They're fishermen. They, they know storms. They've been around it. They think they're going crazy. And Jesus comes. And Jesus says, get out of the boat, Peter. Come follow me. I'll, and Peter goes, all right, I'm going to come. You see, one of your greatest battles in you being a Christ follower, a woman of God, or a man of God, or a leader, or someone who says, I want to follow hard after God, is you will battle fear and doubt. And most of the time, you will battle fear and doubt because God called you into the marriage. He called you into the workplace. He called you into motherhood or fatherhood. He called you into the city. This, and, and, and as you go into that moment, it feels hard. It feels difficult. 
It feels like he left you out there to make an example of your life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like God called you into something and it was way harder than you thought it would be? Have you ever thought that might be a little normal? That there's nothing wrong with you? That you actually might be smack dab in the will of God? You see, God doesn't always rescue us from storms. Sometimes he calls us into storms to teach us lessons about who he is and who we are. And the only place he can teach us about himself is in a place of crisis. Because in a crisis is where we learn what we believe. It's easy to say, Lord, Lord, I'm following you, I love you. But when we hit a crisis, many times, our reflex is to say, I'm out, I don't want to do this, this is too hard. Because pain has a voice. And the voice of pain says this, do whatever it takes to make it stop. Pain has a voice, and that voice is, do whatever it takes to make it stop. Look at pornography, drink yourself to sleep, hang out with that person that's not healthy for you, buy that thing you can't afford, leave that church that doesn't love you like you hoped that it would. Get away. It hurts. It's not fun. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. Go. I I just need to stop. Whatever I'm doing, I need to run away from this. I was not made. You know why? Because you weren't made to contain pain. Your body was not meant to carry pain. Your, your, Your soul was not meant to have turmoil and pain and heartache. It affects us. It affects every part of our lives. So it's impossible to say, live with pain. It's God's will. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that in the midst of the pain, sometimes God will bring us to a crisis to get us to see who he is so that he can be the healer and the redeemer and the deliverer that he said he was. So our ability to understand that fear and doubt distract us from what? From keeping our eyes on Jesus. Do you know your fear of the future is keeping you from your eyes on Jesus? Did you know your fear of if you're going to marry the right person, do the right thing, have what you hope, that that doubt if God's really going to show up is the very thing that's keeping you from building the faith that you're called to have for the season you're going into? You see, when you begin to see fear as the enemy of your life, it'll lose its power. The hard part about fear is that we all need fear in our life. Fear is not always negative. Sometimes fear can keep us from doing things that we shouldn't do. Fear can warn us. But when Jesus says, look at me and walk towards me, it's not time to bow down to fear. It's time to bow down to him and be led by him. And so Peter learns a great lesson that day. In fact, I believe that Jesus was teaching him a lesson that he would need for the rest of his life. One of the lessons that Jesus was teaching him was that there are consequences in delayed obedience, which meant keep walking, look at me, and don't turn away. Keep walking. What Jesus was teaching him, and if you can't listen to anything else and you're distracted by anything else, please listen to this this very moment because this is the cusp of the message tonight. This is where I'm trying to get you to land. Jesus was teaching Peter something. He was basically saying this to Peter. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. Look at my face. 
You're going to need this in the days to come. Keep looking at me as you walk on many waters. See, Jesus was trying to teach Peter that fear and doubt were going to be part of his life. And if he didn't overcome it at that moment, then it would have the potential to destroy him and devastate him in the future. And so Jesus was saying, don't be distracted by this. Some of you right now, I love you, but you let fear dominate your life. You let the fear of what people think of you dominate your life. You don't want to step out of the boat. You're afraid that the disciples will, will ridicule you or mock you or you're too crazy or you're too exuberant or you're too passionate. Who are your boat buddies? You notice none of the other disciples got out of the boat. Are your boat buddies mocking you for being bold? Are they ridiculing you? What if they're just not saying anything just so that you know it's just not what we're into? Your ability to leave the boat buddies behind is your greatest strength. See, I've said this before. Being a leader is not being anything special. Being a leader is simply outlasting the crowd. That's all it is. You simply outlast the part of you that wants to turn away, look at the wind and the rain, look, look at the disciples in the boat, look at all the things around you, your ability to see Jesus and say, I'm keeping my gaze on you. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, my gaze is enough. My face is enough. My heart towards you is enough. Look at me. You know, many times with our boys, when I'm teaching them or training them or I'm, I'm disciplining them, the very first thing I say to them is, sweet Judah, Judah, look at me. Because they're like, you know, kids. They're like, you know, they're like Gumby. And you're like, look at me. And so many times I will grab their face and I will say, look at my eyes. I love you. Look at me. Don't do that again or I will hurt you. No, I'm kidding. Don't. I may mean that. I try not to say that. Look at me. Mommy's going to say this one time. Don't do that, please. And that ability, that's what Jesus is doing to us, guys. I love you. But this is what it it looks like to be a leader. He grabs our face. He says, look at me. My gaze is enough. No matter what's coming up in front of you, no matter all the fear and all the doubt and all the wind and the potential to lose everything, the ability to say your gaze is enough. And even if I die from the wind and the waves, even if I die from stepping out of the boat, I'm still going to see your face because your gaze is enough for me. That ability will keep us safe for the rest of our lives. When, when I was 17, we began to travel and minister. And I don't have time to tell the stories, but the first time I ever traveled was in Utah. And God just showed up sovereignly. We were there till three in the morning, prophesying over people, and it was just sovereign. The next month, we went on our way to Arizona to preach. And when we got there, we did exactly the same thing we had done in Utah. We prophesied, we preached, we prayed. But something was very off about the night. And the leader came up in the middle of our altar call and he took over. And our message was on purity and being free from guilt and shame. And the guy got up there and just began to say, if you're not a virgin, you should shame on you. And I mean, just blew the whole thing up. And my sister and I are thinking, that's exactly what we are not saying. We're, we're not, in fact, we're saying the opposite of what you're saying right now, which is redemption, mercy, grace, healing, all that good stuff. So we went out to dinner that night, and the, and the pastor was sitting across from us, and we simply said to him, what would you think of tonight? 
He said, well, I don't believe in anything you did tonight. In fact, if I had known what you were going to do, I would have never had you. I don't believe in your message. I don't believe in women doing what you did. And I would never invite you back. We're 17 years old. It's a beautiful night. So we, of course, are a complete mess. We run to our parents' hotel room. They're sleeping. We wake them up. We're sobbing. 17-year-old girls, twins. We don't know what we're doing. We, you know, we didn't call ourselves in the ministry. God called us. We didn't, you know, we didn't know. We're crying. We wake our parents up. We tell them the whole story. And my dad says something over us that has marked me for the rest of my life and it continues to mark me today. He said, well, girls... I guess you get to decide if God called you or man called you. I guess you get to decide if God called you or man called you. And I'd love to say that that hasn't lingered for me. There's many times for many, many years I would go to speak and the very first thing I would hear is what that man said over me. But I had to begin to look at fear and doubt of the ability to be who I'm called to be as the enemy of me being called. That I had to fight my own lies and no amount of affirmation was going to dig me out of the pit of fear and anxiety. Please catch that. I hope you did. You don't need more affirmation. You need to cut the lie off. You don't need someone saying, you're amazing, you're an incredible worship leader, I love everything you do. And behind you, someone saying, ah, she's okay, she's not really my... You need to cut that lie off. You ever been around, you know, spouses do this? Well, you don't say it enough, you don't know, no, 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 I want you to say it more. I mean, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. Pretty soon, you're thinking, it it doesn't sound any different. Why? Because you're still believing the lie, you're not good enough. So the ability here... To say fear and doubt is a distraction. What that man said over me at 17 distracted me and was trying to take me and give me fear and doubt for the season. And if I hadn't believed him, I wouldn't be here today if I had believed him. If I had believed what he said, I would never be getting up in front of people. I would have never gotten up in front of people as the only female preacher at my church for many, many years going to churches that have never had a female communicator get up. And me being a forerunner in the, in the community of Christ, in the world, being a woman who's actually willing to get up and preach the gospel and lead and feed without apology. If I had believed what he said, I would have never done it. But my ability to realize I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus... And not in the crowd was the most vital thing to me being who I'm called to be. Second thing we find out with, with Peter is we find another distraction. In Matthew chapter 26, you don't need to turn there. But it says this, while he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. Here's the story. Jesus knows he's about to die. He says, let's go away for a little bit. He keeps saying things about drink my blood and eat my flesh. And all the disciples are saying, that's kind of crazy, but okay. So they're having this moment. Jesus leaves them to go pray. And what do the disciples do? They sleep, right? Have you remember that phrase in the Bible? Can you not tarry for one hour? Can't you pray? Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus keeps saying, it's all ending. I'm leaving you. I'm going away. And Peter's a smart guy. He's going, something's not adding up here. This is, this is the end. I can feel it. It's the end of the story. This is the momentum. This is the epic moment in the story of Jesus. Something's about to happen, but 
but I don't know what's about to happen. And he keeps saying someone's going to betray him. And I keep saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Am I the one? Jesus is not giving anybody answers. He's acting really weird. He's disappearing. He's washing our feet. Whole things get a little strange for the God of the universe. And the Jews are at a very, very pivotal moment for the Jewish culture. I mean, they're believing for a king to come. And even though they had bought into Jesus being their king, which half the Jewish culture hadn't even believed, most Jewish culture hadn't believed. Even those ones that did believe were still believing Jesus would be the king of kings and he would come in with a vengeance and, and get rid of all the naysayers and make his kingdom come. So it's all very confusing for them. They're, they're trying to trust him, but everything feels a bit opposite of what they've been believing. So all of a sudden, Peter knows something's about to happen, and all of a sudden, Jesus, Judas walks down the middle of the garden. He comes over to Jesus, and he kisses Jesus, which was a sign to the Roman soldiers that were with him that he was the one that said he was, the, was Jesus. He was the, 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 the uh, Savior, and he's the one to kill as he sees Judas do this, Peter gets irate. Peter takes his sword out of his, whatever that's called, takes it out, cuts the soldier's ear off. Now, again, remember, I was born in a girl home. I have a twin sister. I have a mom. I have an Italian dad who's almost a girl. And so I am very, I'm in a very female home. When I used to read this passage, I used to think, Peter is, what is he doing? Why is Peter just taking out a sword and cutting someone's ear off? Like, what's going on? I did not understand this passage until you have five men in your house. Boys like to fight. Not necessarily each other. They'll fight the couch. They'll fight a table. They'll, they'll fight the car window. They love noises, guns, any kind of gun. I mean, they just love it. People go, do you give your kids guns? I say, I wouldn't have to. I could give them a hot dog and it would be a gun. Like, there's, I don't even need to give them. Like, they're just, it's absurd. Like, do you give your kids guns? I don't know. I mean, yes, I guess. So Peter is being all boy in this story. Peter, like, my boy's... You know, with a girl, and at a girl home, you could, you know, if a girl wouldn't, like, play with each other, you kind of like, oh, come on. And even if you, like, slapped them a little or, or pushed back, a girl's immediate reaction is to kind of retreat. Like, I believe you. You can hurt me. Okay. Boys, and I've learned this the hard way, is if you kind of aggressively push them or, like, tease them, they come at you full force. There is something about a boy where you could be like, oh, Judah, shove. Pretty soon he's like on your head doing this. And you're like, I don't know what's happening right now. My husband goes, I told you, don't do it. They'll get you. Stop it. That's what they. So Peter is being all boy in this story. Peter's going, let's do this. Game on. Grabs his sword, cuts the guy's ear off, gives him the look like I could have got your head, but I spared you. You want to finish this right now? I'll get you. And, 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 and Peter's doing everything that's in his nature to do. He wasn't being inappropriate. He wasn't being compulsive. This is just, he's like, let's do this. And Jesus looks at him and he says something to him. And you could see Jesus so graciously but firmly saying to Peter this. 
Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? The second distraction in our lives that we face is something called injustice. Injustice. You see, injustice can be very distracting as a follower of Christ. Because what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I know you think this is what I want you to do, but I want you to get out of the boat and do something different. I want you to choose peace over justice. And see, many times we can be so fixated on things being right and wrong that we miss what God is actually doing in the story. We can be so fixated on, is that what God called you to do? And is that what God called you to do? And are you sure that we can miss exactly what his will is? Many times God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. Many times he will ask us to do certain things and then realize that that's not what he's doing. Some of you right now are in legal battles that God's not invited you into. Some of you are in relational battles that God has not invited you into. In fact, God is saying do the exact opposite. Give them money, let them go, give them whatever, and you are still fighting for it. Some of you are so fixated on justice with your leaders that you're not even able to be led by them. And my concern is, is that Jesus was looking at Peter and said, keep your eyes on me. And Peter, at that moment, thought, I know what to do, Jesus. I'll take care of it for you. And this is what we have a tendency to do as leaders and as people. We have a tendency to say, I got the message. I'll figure it out over here, and then I'll come back and ask you to bless it. How many things have you started, have you even asked God about? Or are you just asking him to bless it? I know who I'm marrying. He's the right one. He's gorgeous. He's mine. Bless it, God. God goes, I didn't invite you into the marriage. This isn't what I have for you. I didn't ask you to quit your job and go start something else. I didn't ask you to move there or go there or travel there or do this. I didn't ask you to fight for someone who's weak and go in there and make sure that they know that you're fighting for them. In fact, I want you to be quiet. I want you to pray about it. I want you to stop lecturing. I want you to stop talking about it. I want you to stop working it out. I want you to stop doing your right and wrong. And here's the reason. I want you just to be quiet. Because that's not what I'm doing right now. And in fact, you're distracting from what I'm actually doing in the community and in the culture. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will, they, they, my brain just went blank. Blessed are the peacemakers, not they will inherit the kingdom of God. That's, those are blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Thank you. Would you like to come preach? No, okay, so lastly is this. We see, we see Peter, the last distraction we see Peter has is something called self-preservation. Self-preservation. We see it happen in Matthew chapter 27. Peter goes and he sees Jesus been taken He just got lectured by Jesus. Don't cut the guy's ear off. What are you doing, you knucklehead? 
put your sword away. Jesus heals the ear in front of Peter, which probably made Peter like, thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot. Thanks for healing the guy that I was trying to teach a lesson to. Peter's sitting at the place where he's watching Jesus as being crucified, drugged through the streets. And the guys next to him go, aren't you with him? He goes, no, I'm not with him. Does it again, aren't you with him? No, I'm not with him. Does it again, aren't you with him? Finally he goes, I am not with him. I don't even know the man. And then the rooster crows, right? And he remembers what Jesus said. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. You know, many of us, self-preservation can be an absolute distraction from what we're called to do. You know, could you imagine if Travis was brought out to the government building in front of Edmonton and they said, listen, you have served God and you've called upon God and we are going to execute you in front of all of the people of Edmonton for, being, for, for calling on Jesus, saying you're a Christ follower. And they said, in fact, anybody who goes to resurgence is going to be killed as well. You might be thinking, you know, I really never liked resurgence. In fact, I just, I came once. I, well, it's not my thing. We've been looking for a new place. I, I stumbled upon the wrong building. We'll never do it again. We're so sorry. But so much of our lives, get, we get distracted by preserving an image, by preserving our education, by preserving something that we've set up, by what people think of us, by what we think we should be doing. And it's a distraction to what Jesus is calling us into. You know, Canada, God's going to ask you sometimes to be a little more undignified. That's not just to make you look like a fool, but he wants to know where your loyalty lies. Does it lie in what people think of you or does it lie in what he's asking you to do? Does it lie in your personality or does it lie in obedience? Does it lie in, well, once I get convinced, then I'll do it. What if Jesus' gaze was enough? What if him calling you to him was enough? You know, I felt in the room tonight, even as we were together, and I love you, I'm proud of you, I've loved the time we've had together, but I felt a resistance, not out of malice, not out of, like, uh, um, opposition, or it was a resistance to the unknown. And it wasn't that you were resistant, like, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know. In fact, I really feel like you authentically love God. I can feel it. I see it in your face as you're worshiping. I'm getting, I I experience there's presence in the room. There's grace in the room. I'm not getting, I've been a lot of places. I was just at our youth camp and, you know, God knows there was resistance in that room. But I don't get that here. But what I do sense is, I think the Lord's going to ask you to step out of the boat in a way you've never stepped out. And He's not necessarily going to put his hand forward and say, step out of the boat, I'll hold your hand as you walk on water towards me. Sometimes you have to leave Egypt to get to your promised land, and you have to actually lose Egypt until you, you see the promised land. The Israelites had to actually lose sight of the Egypt to get to the promised land. They couldn't say, yeah, I see, oh, there's the promised land. Yeah, about five, seven days, we could do, okay, guys, we see it. Let's all leave. 
Many times God will ask you to step out of the boat, to go forward, to believe, to break off the relationship, to give the money, to quit the job, to get the job, to move here, to do this. And we don't know what is about to happen. And in fact, it could seem like the wind and the waves. It could seem like the person you're trying to fight for is, is actually asking you not to do what you hope that it would. It could seem like all of the pres- preservation of yourself of going, you know, I want people to believe that I'm authentic and I'm honest and I'm real and I'm not weird. And now God's asking me to do something weird. It doesn't fit. Is the distraction from you being who you're called to be. And Peter, at the end of his life, he learned this lesson so well. I want to share this story very quickly. Two and a half years ago, we had one of the most biggest crises in our life as a couple. I had had my fourth C-section of our kids in five years. And our littlest guy, taken by C-section, um, went into the NICU for 10 days. And so I obviously have three littles at home, five and under, and, I, and we have this little guy. Then after 10 days of going back and forth to the hospital, five or six times a day, my, all my kids get something called hand, foot, and mouth disease. Do you have that here? I just bless you with that. No, okay, no, stop, stop. It's where you get sores and you get quarantined in your house. So now I'm quarantined with an infant, three kids, by myself. We're just sick. I'm trying to recover. I have, when I have pregnancies, I'm in bed for 10 weeks because of pain. I have such severe pain, I go to the hospital and I go on morphine drips just to get through the pregnancy. So when we have the baby at 37 weeks, because I can't take the pain anymore. So I go through very, very extreme pregnancies. I get a call from Ben, my husband, and he says, honey, they have to let us go at our church. They can't afford to keep us on anymore. Now, that would not be a big deal if I hadn't started the church, if I hadn't given 15 years of my life to this church, if I hadn't started out by being answering phones, planning events, to becoming a teaching pastor, and then actually obeying God and quitting my job there and trusting that God would supply our needs, be teaching there a little bit. Ben is working there full-time as a worship pastor. And I am so upset. Have you ever felt like it comes from every side? I hang up the phone with Ben And I have a complete adult tantrum. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe we just do that over in the States. But I go into my bedroom and I have such a tantrum that I fall on the bed with my arms by my side. Do you know what I mean? Like, fall on the bed. And I'm sobbing. I mean, I'm just sobbing. I'm like, what am I going to do? What are you going to do now, God? I can't go get another job. You know, I can't breastfeed the whole family for a year. Like, I've got to... I got to figure something out. And so I am like overwhelmed. Ben's concerned about me. He's calling me. I'm hanging up the phone, you know, ignoring my family's calling me. I'm having a crisis because all that I had hoped and dreamt that this would happen was not going to happen. We weren't going to raise our kids there. We weren't going to be, we could walk. We bought a house there a year before that, our first house. We bought our home there. We could walk to church, walk to the coffee shop. My whole little life was so cute and perfect. And I was done. That was my last baby. I was going to get healed and we were going to go and we were going to build a ministry there at this church. I'm so a mess. I'm like, kids, you can watch whatever you want, eat chocolate for lunch. I don't give a rip. I am done. I'm having a meltdown in the bedroom got the baby next to me, and I'm sobbing. And I'm saying things like, God, what are you doing with my life? Is this what you're going to do with my life? I mean, I've, I've given my life to you. I've served you. I've loved you. 
I haven't done this. I have sacrifice. And you're going you're gonna to hit me when my, my, my least likely time is to bounce back? You're going to get me when I can't do anything? You're going to take this from me? What are you doing? And I'm so mad. I'm just crying. I'm not mad at him. I'm not cursing him or, you know, curse me or die. Like, I'm not doing any of that. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking to him strongly. I'm sobbing. And then I would go from anger to being overwhelmed and losing it. And then anger, have you ever done that? You know, the cycle. And pretty soon I said, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, I don't have, my hands are tied. What do you want me to do? And he says this to me. I want you to make chicken. I'm thinking, you make chicken. He's like, I did. No, I'm kidding. So he says, touche. I want you to make chicken. I said, make chicken, why? He goes, I want you to get up. I want you to wash your face. I want you to put some music on, make a beautiful dinner, light some candles, and get ready for your husband to come home. That was not what I wanted to hear. But I thought, I, got, I have nothing else. I might as well do what he's asked me to do. So I got up, changed all three diapers. I make good chicken. I'll give you the recipe later. Made chicken, green beans, bread, salad. Lit the candles, put my Frank Sinatra, Diane Krall playing in the music. I mean, just cleaned the kids up, washed their faces, did their hair, you know, did everything ready. And when all I could do, and I just, you know, you just kind of, I'm going to do, if I can't do anything, I can do this. Ben comes in the door that night. Music's playing. The house smells like food. And he looks at me. He goes, how you doing? Like every good husband. You're not sure what's about to happen. So you just, you try that for, how you doing? And uh, I said, I'm good. Everybody, every husband knows that you're not sure if you should ask again or if you should leave it alone. I'm good. He goes, are you sure? You know that sheepish look that a husband has, like, are you sure? Like, you know, is it like the gun's like, you know, like, oh, no, I'm not good. What do you think? Do I look good? You know, so we just lost our job. You know, would you be good? No, I, I, I did not say. I, I looked at him and I said, I'm good. Let's eat. He goes, Okay. So we sat down to have dinner, music's playing, we talked, we never talked about the job, we never talked about what we were going to do in the future, we just enjoyed the night. Gave the kids a bath, read them a Bible story, laid them down to sleep. At the end of that night, we had such peace, and we began to talk about what we could possibly do and what God was about to do. What we didn't know was that God was going to give us a job that would absolutely revolutionize our lives and change us and give us to one of the most leading churches in the nation, and they offered the job to us and pursued us, and now we have such a wonderful season. But I got to be honest, that moment was a moment where Jesus was saying to me, get your eyes on me, Havilah. Don't look at the fact that you can't, you have no plan. Don't look at the fact that you only have a couple, you know, a little bit of money in the bank. Don't look at the plan that you can't adopt your child out anymore because you forgot, you didn't have time to sign the papers. You can't have the baby. I'm teasing, but you know what I'm saying. 
Don't look at the thought that this isn't your plan and how it's all going to work. Keep your eyes on me, the author and the finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on me, the one that scorned the shame, the one that's sitting at the right hand of the Father that's interceding on your behalf right now to do the right thing. Keep your eyes on me. And Peter had the same moment. At the end of Peter's life, after all of these moments of distractions, of fear and doubt and injustice and preservation, we find Peter at the end of his life, Acts chapter 2, is standing after they've had a move of God happen. 3,000 people are standing before him and he is preaching the gospel and his eyes are back on the face of Jesus. He's not worried about what they're going to do to him because they just killed Jesus a little bit ago. He's not worried about um, injustice and how he's fighting for Jesus' name and how how shame on you, you shouldn't have killed him. He's not worried about his own life. He's got his eyes on Jesus and he's preaching the gospel and Jesus uses him at the final moment to bring the greatest revival in the history of the world. 3,000 people coming into the kingdom of God that day. Peter got his eyes back on Jesus and I would just venture to say at that moment, although I'm taking my liberty with scripture, that Peter looked over the eyes of the crowd and I bet he could see Jesus' face as he's preaching Jesus, him and him crucified. You crucified the son of the world, the, the God of the universe. Some of you tonight, your greatest redemptive moment is if you get your eyes back on Jesus and stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to fight it out. Stop trying to ration it or figure, if I do this, if I do that, stop all of that and get your eyes back on him. Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we love you. You can close your eyes. Somebody wants to just kind of play. It doesn't have to be the whole team, but just somebody on the piano or guitar. Some of you tonight, the Lord is saying, get your eyes back on me. You've been distracted. You've Fear and doubt has been manipulating you. You've wondered how it's going to work out and if you've got what it takes. And, and you've wondered why God's called you into the storm. And you feel like you might have missed what he's asked you to do. And yet God right now is saying, you didn't miss me. I've called you into the storm because I'm about to show you who I am in this storm. If you're struggling with fear and doubt, just lift your hand and say, that's me, Havel. I admit it. Tons of hands all over the room. Tons. I love it. Some of you tonight... You've been fixated on injustice. You, there's, a, there's a battle you're in, whether it's with your spouse or your kids, your boss or your family. It's with something within your, within your reach where you have felt like this is what's fair and this is what's not fair. And you've been so fixated on what's fair that you've missed what God is doing in the midst of it. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, that's me. I've been fixated on fairness and it's robbing me of my peace. It's robbing me of my freedom. Some of you, one of you has an an ex in this room, an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend, and they're dating somebody else, and you're so fixated on destroying their character. You're so fixated that that person knows what they're really about, that you've lost the point, that God wants to prepare you for the next person in your life, and you're so fixated on that, it's robbing you of your peace. An ex-spouse, somebody in your world, an ex-pastor, it's robbing you of being at peace. Injustice, if that's you, just lift your hands. That's me. Injustice, I've got, I'm fixated on justice. Lastly, some of you, and I felt this specifically for this group tonight, 
self-preservation, what people think of you, what they evaluate you, if you're successful or not, if, they, if you've got what it takes, and you, you're just so afraid that someone's going to think that you have the wrong motives, that you have a tendency to watch what they think and actually just disregard what Jesus is saying over your life. Even right now, there's a part of you that wants to respond, but there's a hesitancy. Well, if I respond, are they going to think this? Are they going to want, is somebody else in the room going to want? No, no, stop. You're looking at yourself right now. And Jesus wants you to see him. He's interceding right now on your behalf that you would get it. If that's you, lift your hand and say, that's me. I've been fixated, lots of hands. I knew that there would be because I knew that would be us. If you said, if you lifted your hand for one of these, I want you to just pray this prayer out loud with me, Lord Jesus. We could say this together because it was the majority of us. Lord Jesus, your gaze is enough. Your face is enough. I ask you to help me get out of the boat. To see you and to believe you. Forgive me for looking around, for believing lies that I got to figure it out before I trust you. I want to look at you. And even if the storm ends in death, I still got a God who's taking care of me, who loves me who made me, who's not overwhelmed by me, but is excited about me. I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you what's happening today. And I ask you to lead me. I ask you to teach me. I ask you to guide me. In Jesus' name. I'm just gonna minister prophetically over a few of you tonight. I just want to give some understanding for a minute of that. And that simply means that the Bible says that we can prophesy, which means that it's meant for the edification of the body, which gives us an ability to speak over someone's life. And it should be encouraging. It should be uplifting. You should walk out of here feeling like it's better. You're better than when you left or when you came, excuse me. But the prophetic is a confirmation of what's going on within you. My recommendation is we record this and I don't know if we're recording, I assume we're recording up here, because we want to be accountable to your leadership. I'm, I believe in what I say. I want to be accountable. I don't want to just throw things out and act like, well, I want, I want you to know. I also want you to be able to have that word so you can go back and listen to it, because many times when you hear it, your anxiety goes up and you start thinking I said something that I didn't. So many times it's more important to take it home, write it out, look at it, and then wait. If it doesn't sit well, please throw it out. Like I said, take my picture, burn it in your front yard, write a bad post. I'll like that bad post and we'll move on. Um, but many times I've had a lot of people, uh, they didn't think it was right on and then they waited a little bit. And then once th- that happened, um, it happened to turn around and it became what God was saying over them. I also want to say this: some of you need to hear from God tonight and you've come, Lord, give me a word. And I want to say two things about that. Number one, God reserves the right to speak to you how he wants to. Which means sometimes it's publicly and sometimes it's privately. And he knows what you need and he knows what he's doing within you. And he's building a picture. 
Secondly, there are some people in the room that need to hear more than you do. And so there's just, we need to be gracious. Sometimes somebody's at a place where God wants to just give them a public word. Lastly, the prophetic is much like a swimming pool. And so if you're around water, you're going to get wet. And so if you hear something you like or something touches you, just grab it, take it. There's no rules. So just receive it and say, I'll receive that word. I'll take that word. Um, unless it's someone's husband, don't, don't take their husband. So well, the gentleman in the white shirt right here, will you come up? Yeah, right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you come on up. Give me my drink, babe. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. What's your name? What is it? Eve. Okay. Just stand right here. No, no. Just look at me. It's okay. All right. Eve. Okay. Eve. Um, what a neat man you are. What a deep man you are. You're so, you're such a learner. You love to learn. I mean, you love to study. You, you have books. You love to research. And I mean, you, it's just, you go on these journeys where you want to research it. You want the best of the best. And so you'll just research it to the end. end and you'll just go until you go, that's what I want. I mean, you just, you handpick things. I don't know who you are, what you do, but you're, you're, you handpick the right element, the right thing to apply it into their life. I want you to know something. God is really proud of you and you can't mess this up. And I felt in your heart, there's been an eagerness. You're kind of like a, um, uh, the man, Nicodemus, who came to God and said, explain these things to me. And you know, Nicodemus was a smart man. He was one of the highest leaders. He was a religious leader and he knew what he needed to do. And he met with Jesus late at night and it wasn't out of any weirdness. He just, I felt like he was such a learner. He wanted to hear the words and savor them and he wouldn't be distracted by everything else. And at the end of it, Jesus really told him who he was and gave him a place where he said, got to make a decision. This is what I am. You're in a, you're in a, a moment like that. There's something about the message of Jesus over your life where you're having to make decisions if they line up to what, not, not salvation decisions, but, but pivotal moments about money and about life. And, and you're, you're having to make some decisions. And I want you to know that you are called to be a Joseph. You're called to sit in high places and give high leaders um, wisdom and interpret dreams for them and even accomplish dreams for them. You know, one thing that Joseph did was he taught people how to storehouse for drought. I don't know what you do, but I sense that over you. You have an ability to teach people how to storehouse things so when calamity comes or things come, you know how to help them structure their life so that they're safe. And I want you to know the Lord's going to give you abundance. I don't know if you have it already, but I sense it over you. There's a financial abundance. There's an authority. There's an abundance of influence over your life. You're a leader by nature. You're a, you're a conqueror by nature. You, you love to get in there and accomplish. And, you know, you've surpassed your class. And you surpassed people around you. And you just have this capacity for great things. I mean, you're just brilliant. I don't know who you are. And that's probably a great prophetic word to hear. But you're brilliant. But God has given you, and your mind can play tricks on you, and it can feel confusing at times, and the enemy loves to overwork things for you, and you just overwork and overwork, and you, it's almost like he likes to pick at your motives, and you go, I have a pure motive, but then he just kind of picks at you, and I just want to say, that's the enemy, that's not God, God's not picking on you, he's not trying to get you to do things that you are, look committed, he's not playing games, that's not your, the dad, God's heart for you, he's a good dad, he loves you, he's not angry, He's not disappointed. He's not overwhelmed. He's for you. He loves you. And he wants you to know, son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the man you're becoming. And you don't need to worry if you're going to mess this up. You're not going to mess this up. 
because you're gonna walk on the water and I'm gonna be there in the midst of it. The Lord wants you to know that I don't know who you are, I don't know what you do. So this is kind of me stepping out on a limb. I won't try to think about this. You're gonna fund some major moves of God. I don't know what that is, but there's a funding thing in you. You're going to fund major moves of God in Canada. In fact, you're gonna know that the work over here was because of what you've done and part of it. I don't know if it's funding by time, talent, treasure. I don't know. It's one of those things, but you're gonna be able to fund those ability. And there's been something that's sat on you. It's almost like it won't leave you alone. And you've tried to get away from it and go, I'll just, I wanna be able to do this. I wanna be able to do this and not think about it. And yet there's been a, a spiritual conscience, conscience in you where you've said, I, I, I could just, I should be able to be happy right now, but I'm not. I should, I've got enough to feel content. And the reason is because you're called to greatness. God's not going to leave you alone because he doesn't want you to live and die in that greatness. He wants you to, to change history. Like he wants you to change history. And he's, he's asking you to partner in that. And there's a public word for you tonight because you need to know you're a part of that. There is an anointing on your life to change the history of Canada. There's an anointing on your life from north, south, east, and west to have your hand in every area. I see you on a private plane and you're flying places. I don't know what that is, but you're going to be on private planes and you're going to fly places and go over there and talk to people. And over here, it's going to be government involved. It's going to be industry involved. It's going to be like planning and networking and development and all of that. But there's an anointing on and on your life. The Lord wants you to know you be careful who you partner with. Don't let the men treat you like a boy. I don't know what that is. Don't let the men treat you like a boy. You're not a boy. You're a man and you know how to make decisions. You need to trust the Holy Spirit within you and don't try to make it reason. Don't try to reason it out. You do what's in front of you to do. And if you do it well, you will have incredible favor that will follow you all the days of your life. And you will find that the simple things in life will be added to you because you're willing to deal with the complex. You're internal world will be very simple. It'll be filled with pleasure and joy and fullness because you are willing to deal with complex things out there. So within, God's going to give you the gift. And I don't know if you're married or life or whatever, but I just sense that, that whatever's going to happen in that, in that element is going to be very joyful, very peaceful, very simple. And you need that. I, f- I felt that over you. Like you need to choose wisely who you partner with and what you allow in your life. Choose wisely because because you're the type of man that's going to change history and move mountains. And you need that. You don't need to complicate that. Don't complicate that. The enemy would love nothing more for you to complicate that. You don't need to complicate. You need integrity and peace around you. The Lord's going to begin to filter your mind more. Clean up those thoughts, those doubts, those part of you that goes, I don't know. He's going to clean all that up for you. He's going to help you nurture yourself in such a way that you'll be able to be the man you're called to be. And you're going to continue to grow. Learn, 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 learn. You're going to fly places to learn things read lots of books you write books you'll do all of it but lots of learning leadership development teaching people how to lead lots of development lots of training materials courses classes hotels conferences pulling it all together structuring and god wants you to know like this is a sign tonight he really loves you he's fully engaged in your life He's not wondering what you're going to do. He's partnering with you to do it. So be encouraged tonight. Sleep well tonight. Your dad in heaven's working out on your behalf. And you have not missed him. You're right smack dab in the will of what he's asked for you. And if it doesn't feel spiritual, it is spiritual. 
Even if it doesn't feel spiritual, it is. And that core belief that allows you to know this is spiritual is going to empower you to set many people free and partner with many people. I felt when I saw you walk over to Travis tonight, I don't know if you're friends, but I felt that there was a connection where you're going to support him. There's a, a, a divine connection with him in terms of supporting him and funding him and leading and like partnering with him. And I felt like the Lord said, dream big and fund big because his dreams are huge and, and he needs that. And you are part of that. Um, and so I don't say that to manipulate you. I, I just sensed it when you walked up to him. So you do what God's leading you to do. Don't do anything out of compulsion. But I, I just felt that like you're part of the story. You're part of the story. So you play your part well, and he'll play his part well, and God will play his part well, and the story will be beautiful. So what's your name? Oh, that's right, Eve. Lord, I bless Eve tonight. I, I speak life over this man tonight. I thank you for the prosperity that he is going to live in. <laughs> Woo! I thank you that you're going to get him, God, with your goodness. I thank you that he has, he has a discernment to discern the right decisions. He's a decision maker, and he knows how things are going to play, turn out before he even sees it. It's weird. He sees it before it even happens. And you're going to give him more wisdom, more dreams, dreams to tell kings, dreams to tell leaders, dreams to tell movements, and he's going to be able to partner with that tonight. I come against every lie that says he doesn't get to be powerful. I come against every lie that says that he's going to be overlooked. I come against every lie, the seduction of the world that says if he does this, this, and this, then he'll be fine. I come against that and I say, no, Eve, live the life you're called to live. Don't be afraid. You're not going to make a mistake. You're going to be, he's going to be with you. Even in the storm, he will be faithful to you. So jump out of the boat and walk on water because you'd never be satisfied in the boat and you know it. Even if it's a yacht, you'd never be satisfied in the boat and you know it. You're meant to walk on water. So do it well, son. Do it with all your might. And at the end of your day, you will be a part of the greatest movement in Canada that they've ever seen because you said yes to him. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him a hug, God. You guys that prayed for him, give him a hug. Give him some man love. I have um, the gentleman in the orange right here. Will you come up? Yeah, you. I know your arms are crossed. Yeah, you. If you're married, are you married? Yeah? Is she here? Come come up. Do you want to be married? No, I'm kidding. Come. Just kidding. I can marry you. I'm ordained. What's your names? Chris and Kim. Okay, just hold hands and come a little closer. Because I'm short, so it helps me. Chris and Kim, yeah? So you guys are in a very unique season. There's, there's a transition happening in your world. I don't know what's about to happen, but I sense that there's a, a real grace, a new, it's almost like a, a breeze is coming into your garden. There's a fresh wind, there's a fresh hunger. It's something like a fresh hunger for God. And you've been, you've been asking some crazy things and you've been praying some kind of some crazy things. And you've been saying, God, wake us up. We don't care. We'll do whatever. We, we don't need to do what we're doing. Like, we'll do whatever. We just want to be a part of what you're doing. And I, I sense it in your heart. It's like you both have this authentic desire. You both, you, you, you are connected because you both have a very, a very much of a strong integrity about your lives. There's, there's an, there's an authenticity. There's a movement of, of, of integrity where you, you say what you say you're going to do and what you want, you're going to do. And I, I sense like the Lord is like, he's taking away an old season and he's inviting you into a new season. 
I don't know what that is, but I saw like old clothes on you and they were great. They were warrior clothes. They were, they were clothes that you worked and you fought with and they did you well. But I saw you taking them off and you're putting on new clothes and that clothes uh, were fresh and they looked different and they weren't so warrior-like. They were more like, like leisurely clothes, which sounds really weird because I don't know what that even means. But I saw like you coming into a place of peace. And I felt like you guys are being invited into a place of presence with the Lord. He was going to encounter you, both of you in your own way, but it was going to be almost like a matching between you. You were going to hear from God during the day about something, and you were going to hear from God about something, and then you were going to compare notes, and there was going to be clarity. There's been, uh, I don't know if, if, you're, if you've been praying about something specifically, but I feel like I saw you guys come to the edge of a cliff and you were like, weren't sure what you were supposed to do. I almost felt like you were like, do we jump? Do we stay? Do we jump? Do we stay? And I felt like the Lord said, you need to jump and watch me, watch me, watch how you're made to fly. And I felt like there's been some hesitancy in your own world. Like, how do we do that and do this? I don't know what that is, but I feel like there has been this like, I want to, but I don't know how. And I feel like the Lord said, it's time to risk big in your lives. Like there's something about risk in your world that it's time to jump out. And I'm not saying that to, um, I just, I just sense in my heart, you're to risk big right now. There's a a real uh, discerning thing on you. I sense it over you as I was preaching. I saw you and I thought, I felt like there's a a discerning ability to, to see things as they are. Just to look at it and go, I see this, and this is what it needs to be. And I feel like for you, you're, 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 you've got this um, almost like a nurturing part to you, but it's not like a sweet, soft nurture. It's almost like a, I need to help you get it together kind of nurture. Like there's a part of you where I felt like it was like you wanted to get your hands dirty. You didn't just want to talk about like things. You wanted to get like, let's get to work and make something happen. Like I want to be a part of something. I don't want to just hang out and say all the right things and do all the right things. Like I want to be a part of something bigger than me. I felt it in you. Like you were like, you're like the girl that's like, some, like almost if someone said, let's build this house for somebody. You were like, give me a hammer. I don't want to sit here and pray that the house gets built. I want to build the house. And I saw this kind of cut the crap kind of part of you that's like, let's do what, that's Greek. Uh, th- this kind of part of that goes, let's do this. I felt like you're, you're, you're not at your capacity. Like something, you've kind of sat back a little. And I saw the Lord pulling you up and saying, uh, come on, daughter, like, let's do this. And you were like, I don't know, should I? And I felt the Lord said, you're, you're going to kind of surpass what people thought you were. I felt like you were, there's like a, there's a private part of you that hasn't quite yet come out, but it's going to come out and it's a Deborah anointing. There's like a Deborah thing on you, an ability to discern and to give wisdom. And, and people are going to come to you and you're going to know what to do and what to say and how it's supposed to work out. And there's been a hesitancy over both of you I don't know if there was a critical thing or if it's just a personality thing, but I sense a hesitancy and I want to just say, that's going to go, that needs to go away. This part of you that doesn't want to fail, this part of you that wonders if we should or could we or well, I don't know, we only want to get that off of you. You were meant to fly. You were meant to lead. You were meant to sing. You were meant to dance. You were meant to be a part of this. And this hesitancy is going to be, go away from you. And I don't feel like it's something you put on yourself. It's something you have to get out of that's just been part of the culture and, your, and who you are in life and cares of the world that just kind of kept you. And the Lord is like, come on. And I saw you both grab your hands and went, are you ready to jump? Okay, one, two, three. And you jumped. And when you jumped, 
a gust of wind came under you and you were flying and you were like looking at each other like, can you believe we're doing this? You're going to go to other nations. You're going to do other things in the mission field. I really sense that. Not that you'll be full-time missionaries. I don't know. But I sense missions over you. I sense you building homes. You taking care of the orphans. You, you leading people. And I, I don't know what that looks like fully, but I felt that there was some kind of missional work. So I, when I say missional, I don't, I mean missions. I don't mean like, it could not be Africa. It could be missional here. But I sense a missional, let's get our hands dirty, operation, rescue, let's do this. And you both are going to do it well. And um, there's a crack that's being sealed. I don't know what that is. But I sense it over both of you. Like there's a, there's a hesitancy. And I, I just feel like the Lord is going to just seal some things for you. You need to know some things so you can step out. And the Lord's going to give you your answer. He's going to show you. You love him. You're for him. I can sense that you guys are, you love him. I, I sense like a clarity in your spirit, a desire. I sense a, you know, let's, there's, there's, you don't, you're not, pre, there's no false pretense, which is what you get. And I sense that over you, but I sense God leading you. He's going to interrupt you. You're, you're being interrupted by him. I mean, like I sense it driving down the road, he interrupts you and you're going to weep before him and say, I'm yours, God. And you're going to have moments where you're going to weep before him and say, I'm yours, God. And there's going to be a unity that's going to happen, like a braiding of each of you two coming together with a one purpose and you're going to be invited into it. Be brave. Be brave, God says. Be brave. Don't let fear keep you from being who you're called to be. Um, get out of that boat. Walk on that water and you'll see him accomplish what he's meant to accomplish in you. So, Lord, I pray for this man and woman. I speak life over them. Lord, I, I really sense that they're being invited into a new season. I sense that there's like this come away, come do some work of the kingdom. And I, I pray, God, that all hesitancy would be broken off. All wonderings that they have what it takes would be broken off. All of that part of them that, that says they don't get to be powerful where they are would be broken off. And I speak life into both of them. Like they would have their moment in history right now where the presence would come upon them and they would be able to operate as they're called to operate. I speak life over them tonight. Anoint them for your kingdom. Build your kingdom within them. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can I have the couple right here in the white? You're in the white jacket. You're in the white shirt. Yeah, come on up. Guys, there's a real sweet presence in the room. I don't know if you can sense that. Like, it's just sweet. So just ask God for stuff. Whatever you need. You know, you need to forgive somebody. Just ask him. Help me forgive. You need your body healed. Just ask him. God, heal my body. Let's just just know. Like, there's, there's you can do whatever you want right now. This is not just about them. This is about all of us in the room. What are your names? D- Dale? Dale and Lord Dana. Will you guys step toward just a little bit because I like to touch you. I'm Italian. Oh, hey, there we go. Uh, okay, so you are a thinker. You're a processor. You know, you are, you like everything the right way and structured and it all needs to kind of be this way. And the Lord is really intervening in your, on your behalf. You, you have a young, you're young at heart. You have this part of you that goes, I want to believe. I want to see. I want to act. And I saw the Lord giving you new opportunity to build. He put a hammer in your hand. He said, son, let's build this. And you were like, I don't know what to build. And he goes, that's okay. Take the hammer in faith. 
I'll show you what to build. And the Lord said he's really structured you both for healing, helping people get healed. There's a real healing anointing on both of you, internally and outwardly. There's like a structuring thing with marriages and relationships. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to feel like this is harder than I thought. You know what it's like to feel like, you know, I'm holding on. And I feel like there's been a breakthrough even in your own lives, and it continues to be. And I felt like the Lord said, you are going to parent a generation. There's a, a parental anointing on you, not opposite of what I said today. What I mean is an influential Ability to pull people in and love them for who they are. You're a seer. You see things. You see dreams. You have visions. You you encounter God in ways, and you have, it just encompasses you. You're you're like this mom wants to just grab people and say, "You got this. You can do this." And you want to just help them and challenge them and structure them. And you've had a couple falls. I saw you. It's almost like you you've had some injuries uh, in your body. I don't know if that's spiritual body or, or physically, but it was almost like it took the wind out of you and it really caused you to wonder if you had what it took. And the Lord is coming to take those, that pain out of you and that what ifs out of you and that should haves out of you and that could haves out of you. And he's literally taking it out of you and going, that was the enemy. That wasn't me. I wasn't stopping you. That was a hang up. But you're a fiery woman. There's a passion within you. You say it like it should be said. You believe it like it should be believed. And you've given your husband a run for his money. And you've been one that's gone like, we're going to go. And even you being here is like, come on, we're going to do this. And, and you've just kind of re- ridden the wake at times. But, but it's because you're a real man. You're sincere and you're a godly man. You go, I'll do it. I'll do whatever that looks like. And the Lord said, God's going to give her some crazy dreams and you're going to help build them. I don't know if you've already done that, but I sense that. God gives you the dream, and you go, great, let's plan it out. And you've oftentimes thought, how do I do that? But the Lord said, he's going to anoint you to structure. You're the carpenter in the relationship. You're the dreamer. You're the, you lay out the blueprint. You're like, this is what I want built, and this is how God showed me. And he's like this, and he goes, all right. And he'll turn from you and get to work doing it, and then you'll come in and survey. Oh, that's how we're doing it. And the Lord said, you guys are going to be anointed to pastor people's hearts, and pastor their, their, them. I mean, I really sense that over you, like a, and I say pastoring in a very, I don't mean like you're called to full-time ministry, I don't know who you are, but I sense sometimes we can still function something we're not doing full-time, but we can still have that heart and that anointing and, and lead in that. I don't know you, so I'm just going to keep it cash, but I felt that over you. Uh, you guys, you've been, you're, you guys are just about to get a second wind. Like, and you've known it. Like, there's a second wind coming, and you're going to have better years than you've ever had. Like, I sense it over you. There's good years coming up ahead of you guys. He's going to take care of every need you have. You don't need to worry. He's going to take care of every need you have. But the Lord says you're going to build some things, and you need to believe it, and they'll come. Believe it, and they'll come. That field of dreams. Wow. But I sense that over you. Like, you're going to literally say, I'm going to believe you, God, and then he'll add it to you. God's going to structure that within you. You're faithful. You've loved him. You've been faithful to him, but you haven't been satisfied. And it's a godly dissatisfaction. Said, so there's got to be more than this. You both have had it. And God says, that's right. That's my leading and I will lead you into this. So Jesus, I speak life over this husband and wife. I say, God, let it be so in their lives. Let it be so in their lives. Touch them, God. Awaken their hearts in a new way. Lord, she has big dreams. She's fiery, God. She's a discerner, God. She sees what's about to happen. And I ask God for clarity within her. I pray, God, that when she says it to her husband, her husband would not dismiss it, but he would say, honey, how do we build it? He would not say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he'd say, honey, I'm with you. How do I help you? And the Lord said, build the dream. 
build the dream that's by put in her heart because the dream that's in her heart is a dream that's in your heart. It will become the dream in your heart and you will build and you will build and you will build people's lives that are completely broken. You'll build them back to normal and there'll be a place of, you'll be a place of refuge, a place of retreat, a place of fulfillment for people. So I bless your coming and your going. Enjoy the season. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better in your life. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can give the Lord a clap. That's good. come Lord this is not about me it's not about it's not meant to be about that it's just about you like we just want you God we just want people healed in their seats <laughs> we just want marriages restored we just want lives restored like God we want a move that's not about a face or a name or a move we want you like that's it God give us that Lord Give us that, Jesus. Thank you, God. Is there someone in the room that is currently functioning as a pastor? Like you're, you have a title of a pastor, you're currently functioning as that? Is there anybody in the room that's, that's that? Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's you. Come, come up. You come up too. I know I've given you a word, but it'll be good to pray over him. Thank you, Jesus. I know a little bit about your season because I've talked to your wife a little, so I want you to know that I don't want that to be like... I'm just going to ask what God has to say, and we'll go from there. How's that? All right, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man. Lord, you you told me to pray for the pastors in the room. (laughs) So I pray for this pastor. And I thank you, God, that in the midst of this season, you're letting him know that he is not going to fail. That whatever it looks like, he will not fail in this season, but you will be faithful to him. That you've not set him up to walk away from things, but you've set him up, God, that he would see you in this season. And even like myself, I sense this over you, although I'm not, I'm not saying the end results, but God is saying to you, make chicken. And I sense it over you, this ability for you to keep your eyes on him in the process, in the season. You're, you're a guy that, that loves big. I mean, you love deep. You, you, you're consumed with love. I mean, you just love people. You love what you do. You love, you love who you are. You, you love to have a good time. You, you love, you'll drive the boat. You know, if people want to ski, you'll drive the boat. I mean, you're just that guy. You're like, come, let's enjoy life. Let's do that to the fullest. But I felt like the Lord said, he's taking you into a season where um, you're not going to be the jack of all trades. You're going to have an ability to be an expert in one area. And I sensed it over you. Like, you've been good at a thousand different things, and you can do that, and you can do that, and I could do that, and I could do that. But the Lord was like, I'm going to about to put you in your master's. I'm about to take you into what you thought you could do and a bunch of other things, and I'm about to make you see something very, very clearly. And the Lord said, just like 
uh, a blurred picture, he's about to bring your life into focus and you're about to see exactly what he's been doing and exactly what he's meant to do. I felt like the Lord said, there's a authenticity that's gonna come out of you that you've never had before. I saw you, you're, you're authentic normally, but I felt a vulnerability in who you are. An ability to communicate vulnerability was going to be very key to your leadership. Your ability to be honest and open, which you are, you, I, I sense that, I don't know you, but I sense that about you. I feel like the Lord said, you're gonna have keys to be able to say things to different individuals, and they're gonna come to you as they already have and said, I was gonna give up, but I didn't give up because you talked to me. I was, I was gonna quit, but you hugged me, and I knew that that's what I needed. I saw you being a leader of men, you're gonna have lots of sons. And I saw it over you. You're gonna have lots of sons. You have a dad heart. You always have. You've been a dad from the beginning. You said, God, I just wanna be a dad. I, I don't even know what that's supposed to even look like, but I, I sense I need to be a dad. And the Lord said, you get to be a dad because I've called you, not because of what people tell you you are. You're a dad from, and you've been a good dad. And I, I feel like you need to hear that. You've been a good dad to the men around you, the young men around you. Lord said, that's going to grow. I saw camps. I saw things that you're going to build and produce that's going to be places for young men. I almost felt like there was a young men's camp or or retreat or something that you're going to, it's like wild at heart kind of thing. We're going to pull them together and you're going to teach them what it looks like to be men. They're going to have swords in their hands. They're going to have spears. You're going to hunt fish and love God. I mean, it's just going to be that kind of experience. And you're going to, they're going to love it. They're going to love every part of it. And I feel like you need to know, like, God really is excited about your life. Like, He really is excited about you, and you're going to have a legacy. And the enemy told you you don't get a legacy. In fact, the enemy said everything's going to be shut down, and you don't get a legacy, and nothing's going to happen, and your life's going to be a waste. It's not going to look. And over both of you, there's been these lies that have kind of hung out, which says you don't get to be powerful, and everything you start, you don't finish, and it doesn't end in glory, and it ends in failure, and nothing seems to work out over both of you. And you both have had to fight your own moments of failure, and like you've had dark times, and you've had dark times, and there are sometimes opposite times, but that's kind of the seasons. And I feel like the Lord said, what you don't know is your trailblazers, and you've, you've had your face so on in front of you building that you haven't been able to turn around and see what you actually built. And what's going to happen is you're about to hit a season where people are going to come back to both of you and say, because of you, I'm here. Because of what you've done, I'm here. And it's going to begin to fulfill you in such a way that you both are going to go, this is unbelievable. We have children and grandchildren, and we have all these people behind us that have looked at us as leaders. And um, I felt like the Lord said, um, you're in a season right now where you both have been backpackers, but God's not allowed her to take the journey with you. He's not allowed her to take a backpack and go with you. And he's actually told her, put your backpack down and let him hike on his own. And it's been offensive because you're like, well, am I not supposed to hike? Because you won't hike with me. So am I like doing the wrong thing? Should I go on this journey or should I just sit here and wait for you to be ready? And the Lord said, no, she's in the right season of restorative and, and resting for the next hike. You need to hike alone and find that stride that's right for you. You've actually kind of waited for her and carried her at times in the journey. I don't know what that means. I'm not implying that weakness on her behalf, but I'm saying there's been moments when you've kind of been like, well, I'll just wait for you to catch up so we can hike together. And you've been faithful in that. You've been a good husband, but that's not what this season's about. This season's about you walking, you finding your stride, you finding out why you love to hike, the love of the mountain, the love of the people, the love of the, the beauty, and finding that inner voice again, the Holy Spirit within you that says, this is who you are. This is what you were created to be. This is what I've made you. Finding that first. And when you come back, she'll be ready, rested, and ready to hike.
but it's not happening now. She needs this time to restore, to get ready, to get healthy, to, to build her own world, inner world that she's been building. I don't know what she's building, but that's part of that. So I come, up, I come against fear. I come against anxiety. You have what it takes for as long as it takes. You have what it takes for as long as it takes. You're anointed for your present. I speak into your spirit right now and I say, you are anointed for your present. You are anointed to do what you're called to do. So relax. Relax in the moment. Enjoy the moment. Because you're about to see God work on your behalf. And what what men, men shut out, God does not shut out. What men close down, God does not close down. And um, he's really proud of you. He's really proud of you. You could have curled up and died and said, I'm not going to do this. But instead you said, I'm going to do it. And even if I'm not good at it, I'll do it anyway. And he saw that part of you. You're a faithful man. Your dad's proud of you. He's going to carry you. He's going to carry you. He's going to carry you in this moment. So relax. You can't walk on water without him. You can't walk on water without him. So don't worry. It doesn't make you weak because you need it. It makes you strong. So I bless you, Lord. I speak life over this man and woman. I thank you that your, your eyes are on them in this moment. I thank you that you've been touching them, God. You've been speaking to them, God. Lord, you've been changing them. There's been this movement on their behalf. And I speak life over them today. Give them what they need. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. Is there a Paul in the room? A Paul, a Paul, a Paula. Okay, just thought I would ask. Thank you, Lord. Is that you? What's your name? Is it like Paul? Okay, close enough. Come on up. I don't know. We'll, you know what? It is what it is. What's your name? I'm Pavel. Pavel? It's Paul in English. It's Paul in English. Well, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. You have to go sit down. Okay. I love that. What a good guy you are. You've had such a journey. You know, you've been trying to find yourself and took some years to figure out who you were. There wasn't a a strong foundation and there was kind of a struggle and a battle to know what what does being a man look like? What does being a Christ follower look like? What does this whole thing look like? And I I saw you kind of have some moments where you didn't know if you were going to make it and you struggle with knowing if you were enough and if it was going to look the way it should. And you kind of always kind of had this part of you. You're, there's an artistic side to you, maybe a, a, a vulnerability side to you is what I want to say. There's a, a part of you that lives from your heart. You can't live from your mind. You just, it's got to be real. It's got to be, got to be connected to who you are on the inside. And there's a part of you that you really want real authentic things. Like it, you just, you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve. And at times it's really hurt you because you've kind of given your heart to things that have caused you pain and you've had to go back and grab your heart and put it back together. And, and you've kind of wondered, can I trust? Because I've experienced pain from wearing my heart and giving my heart away. And the Lord wants you to know that he's really mending your heart. And he's not just mending it so that it's okay. He's renewing it in such a way that it becomes whole again. I felt like the Lord said he's healing some family relationships with you. I don't know what that is, but it's been a big deal for you. I feel like you kind of were left alone and there was an abandonment thing that happened in your life where you didn't really get what you needed. 
and I felt like it was it was really it hurts you and you you've tried to ignore that and even tried to get healing from that but the Lord said he's coming to really seal up part of that in your world it's okay it's okay he's coming to heal you he loves you he's your dad and he's coming like a dad to come and get you and you are such an amazing man you love so deeply you are so sincere there's an integrity about you but you need to know that you're gonna be okay and some of the hardest painful things in our lives are the things that we we feel guilty that we never got and we we feel guilty because we think we should be okay without it and I feel like for you like I saw the Lord it was like you were he was inviting you to the banquet table and you were like you grabbed one plateful and you're like I'll go sit over here and eat and you guys enjoy yourselves and there's a part of you where you were like, I'll just take what I have and I'll be happy with what I have. But even if I'm not invited to the party, that's okay. I'm fed. I'm fine. And the Lord was like, I didn't die on the cross so that you could just be okay and satisfied. Like, I died on the cross so that you could enjoy your life and enjoy the party and be at the banquet table and, and have fun doing it. And I felt like the Lord wanted you to know, like... You don't need to wonder if you have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. And it's not at the end of the table. It's right next to him. And he wants to lavish his love on you and his goodness and his kindness and his grace upon you. You have a tendency to kind of um, overvalue others and undervalue yourself. Overvalue someone else's gift and wonder what you have to give. And I want to say over you, you are a gifted man and there's a grace coming on you. you there's, there's a bit of a, a creative genius in you. You're a creative genius. You're kind of one of those, uh, uh, I don't know, are you French? I feel like, I know it sounds weird. I don't know what this means, but I almost felt like this part of you, like I saw you in France walking the streets and there was like, you had your art bag and you were kind of like walking around and you had this like secret masterpiece that no one has quite seen yet. Maybe it was Italy, I don't know, but one of those European cities. And you were walking with it, and you were working on this masterpiece. And I felt like the Lord said, you're working on a masterpiece that will outlive you. And, and he's made you that way. So, so when you're down, don't beat yourself up. But let him lift you up. Let him carry you. Don't let the depression overwhelm you. Don't let that part of you beat yourself up and self-talk in such a way that it takes your, your freedom and your joy and your confidence but go to him and say, God, I don't know how to do this. I saw you laying on the floor and worship music was playing in your room and you were just laying there and saying, God, fill me up. I don't know how to do this. Heal the parts I can't get healed. Speak to the parts that never got spoke to. Touch the places that never got touched that I needed and just show me who you are. And I saw him gently coming and speaking to you and loving you and teaching you the man you were called to be. And um, that creative genius will grow and grow and grow. Many people will love the gift that was created in you, the, the gift that's being cultivated, that creative part of you that the world has not quite seen yet, but will see. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand for that. Is that good? Do you guys know some of these people that we're ministering over? Yeah, are they good? Yeah, kind of, yes. What time is it? 10.30. I just want to ask, if you got a word tonight that, that the Lord said something specifically to you that you know was right on and the Lord said it to you, 
Will you be bold enough to come and share that with the room? Because not everybody knows who's being ministered over. And I want them to hear, the Bible says we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I want, I want them to be able to hear that from you. One or two sentences about what was said and how that relates to you. I've got a, a mic here. Just come forward right now. Be bold. Don't think about it. Just come up or I'll start calling you up. So if you got a word that you know was right on and God spoke it over you, just, you're like, what do I have to say? Nothing fancy. Just, this is what, this is how it related to me. This is what I do. And this is why it fit with me. If that's you, just come forward. Who was the first guy? Is he still here? You're going to hang out back there. Even though I read your mail, you're going to hang out back there. I, well, come up here. I want to, I'll interview you. I won't make you talk. I'll just interview you. He's like so upset at me right now. And um, look at people are leaving, trying to get out of here before I call you forward. What's your name? He's still leaving. Thank you. What, what, was that right? Was that true, the word? Um, yep. Yep. Pretty it, much accurate. It was pretty much accurate. Yeah, yeah. Really? And did it, it, what was it, what was the key thing that you felt like that's what I needed to hear? Um, <laughs> I was asking myself, where am I going mm. with my life? Am I going down the right path? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? It was clar- it clarified that. Yeah, I think you did. You <laughs> well, I'm not asking for affirmation. I want them to hear God knew you, he saw you, and that's what you needed to hear. I love that. Does anybody else know him in the room? And you guys, you bear witness to that. Travis, yeah, come. Come talk. He's going to talk for you. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of words right now. That's good. That's good. Why don't you just share what happened at the last, what you just shared to me? Please. Um, yeah, share. Good. What was it, two weeks ago? Teaching on forgiveness. Um... Yeah, I guess Travis and Trevor Meyer, I guess, did a teaching on forgiveness. And uh, I just started forgiving. Um, I've been having a lot of trouble, health-related, a lot of headaches, a lot of neck pain. Um, Just started forgiving a lot of people in my life that I've been holding bitterness and grudges against. And the next day and ever since, I've had no headaches, no neck pains. Um, Come on. And just because of that, it's just birthed, like, the fighter in me that's always been there. And it's just, I don't know, I just, I'm going to fight off whatever, whatever wants to take over. Um, Good. Because I know I'm greater than that. Good. Yeah, resurgence has been ridiculously overwhelming every time I came. <laughs> it's always been powerful. Um, Travis, I guess, on stage just spoke of the exact health issue that I had. Didn't speak of anything else. Wow. Just what I, what's been going on. I just was diagnosed that day. Wow. So, yeah, yeah it's been... awesome. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, my head is just, like, totally overwhelmed right now. And that's okay. We've all... We've, hopefully all of us have been there a little bit, so that's awesome. Travis, do whatever you want. I'm good. Anybody else wants to share? Maybe you could share. Was there anything that you knew of people, or...? Yeah, I just right across the board, it was uh, pretty accurate. Uh, 
not just pretty, amazingly accurate. So um, thank you, Hava. Thank you for... Yeah, God bless you guys. We will fly home tomorrow. And um, I was going to say, we are online. You can find us. I have a YouTube channel that has lots and lots of messages on there. You can find us. Keep in touch with us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. And um, we just love you guys. I'm for you. I love Canada. I hope to be back one day. And um, bless you. Hope to ride that roller coaster one day when I have courage, when I get out of the boat. So. Well, let's give it up for Havla and Ben. Why don't we just stand and we're going to close tonight. I know it's been a long night, and, but God has been at work. Amen. So God, we thank you. We thank you for your words that uh, were shared tonight. God, the songs that were sung. God, most importantly, God, I thank you that you met with us tonight. God, I thank you that this night was a marker, a marker in lives, a marker in this city, a marker in this nation. And we just declare that, God, that our eyes would be fixed on you. God, that every distraction or injustice or or anything else, God, God, preservation, God, whatever it is, God, that we would keep our eyes on you. Jesus, that your gaze would be enough. So, God, I thank you for Havlon. Ben, bless them as they go tomorrow. Bless their family. Bless their ministry. God, we thank you for sending them. We thank you for divine relationship. We thank you this is a beginning of a, of a beautiful friendship. And, God, we thank you for what you're going to do in their ministry. God, this is just the beginning, that there is such a breakthrough that is coming into their ministry, into their lives, into their family, that, God, you've set them up for such a time as this. And, God, we just pray for for a favor for for around the world to open up divine speaking in different camps and different streams and different flows god that they would just open the doors to have love god we just thank you and god i thank you for the call on ben i thank you there's so much more there that is going to come out and there are things that he's stepping into in this season we just call that forth that this is a new day ben you're stepping into some things and it's going to be you're, you're going to be traveling and Havla will be sitting there cheering you on because there is a well of things for you to share. There's a well that you are going to speak into men and you're going to speak and call fathers and you're going to teach a generation how to father. And so we just call that forth in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for their kids and God, we pray a blessing over their family. God, I thank you for this city. Thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. God, as we go tonight, be with us. God, I thank you that it doesn't end as we leave, but it's just the beginning. Teach us how to live it out every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming, and please please take time to get to know someone. If you're new, love to meet you. Uh, stay connected us, with us. Our next resurgence is July 